This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, episode number 153. Welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network. I am your host, Riley Bowman, and today I'm also joined by Jacob Paulson. Hello, everyone. Are you feeling lively today? Excited to get this on? Yeah, absolutely. This some, got some good stories here. Yeah, indeed. We do have a great set of stories. Uh, and it's actually been two weeks since we did a, an actual news-focused episode. As last week, we did a recap on the NRA Carry Guard Expo. Uh, some fun stuff we talked about in that episode. So if you missed that, feel free to go back two episodes, uh, number 151, and listen to it or re-listen to it if you'd like to. Uh, today, we've got some great stories, some justified stories uh, coming from various places across the country, including uh, one where one man is forced to defend his his home and himself just as the hurricane in uh, Houston was was striking uh, shortly uh, a short time ago. That's a pretty crazy story. Also, a story from Walmart where, and this is not a justified story, but a story from Walmart where moms fighting over a notebook led to a gun being drawn. Stay tuned for that one. But first, today's episode is brought to you by Andrew Branca's The Law of Self-Defense. ConcealedCarry.com and the Concealed Carry Podcast has joined forces with Andrew Branca to bring you the best legal education related to the law of self-defense. Trust me, if you ever have to draw or use your gun in self-defense, you are going to want to know how to minimize your vulnerability to prosecution and conviction by helping your defense team build the most compelling narrative of innocence Believe me, this is incredibly important. Andrew has the resources you need through live in-person courses, online training, his best-selling book, The Law of Self-Defense, and now his newly released video DVDs. Please go check it all all out now at concealedcarry.com forward slash L-O-S-D. And we are skipping the training tip this week. I'm sorry, folks. I know some of you are going to be disappointed by that, but uh, Jacob and I are both kind of up against the wall. (laughs) with our schedules getting this uh, episode done today. And so we don't want to waste any more time get before we get into uh, today's news stories. But also I just wanted to mention that today's episode is brought to you by Sports Afield and VTAC Gear. And so, Jacob, let's get to this first story. And this is the one I was just teasing a moment ago, where you have a couple of moms at a Walmart, they're doing their back-to-school shopping, and believe me, I mean, we just went through the same thing ourselves not too long ago. I think you probably did as well. And, uh, man, I hate back-to-school shopping. I'm, I'm Frankly, I'm glad I don't have to do as much of it as my wife does. Bless her heart. <laughs> it is so stressful. It's like you get this crazy list with all these things, some of them very specific, you know, and it's like you need to have four glue sticks. And I'm like, what do we need for? Four glue sticks for, I don't know, man. But uh, anyway, don't ask. Parent, <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I, maybe the kids really do go through that much uh, glue stick stuff. But uh, these moms clearly were a little, uh, a little too stressed. So this happened in Detroit, Michigan, a little more than a week ago, and the incident happened where you basically had you had two pairs of women. It says uh, in one situation it was a forty six year old woman and a thirty two year old woman, and then a 
51-year-old woman and her daughter who was aged 20. The 20-year-old daughter was reaching for the last notebook on the shelf at the exact same time as one of the other women. That led to a shoving match and hair getting pulled uh, primarily by the two women, uh, the 46 and 32-year-old. They were pulling the 20-year-old daughter of the you know other woman. They were pulling the 20-year-old's hair. Okay, and, and, and kind of beating her up, roughing her up, roughing her up a little bit. Uh, at this point, or soon thereafter, the mom draws her gun and tells him to stop attacking her daughter. Wow. I mean, this is, we're talking about a notebook here. Well, at least that's how it started, right? Right. And, that, and that's becomes- where... That's where these things get get questionable. I mean, kind of, it reminds me of the one we had in Kentucky where the guy draws a gun uh, over a seat in a movie theater. I mean, it makes for a great headline, right? Like, oh, these crazy gun owners are trying to, you know, shoot people to get seats in a movie theater or to get the notebook, you know, at, at Walmart. But it may not be that simple, right? I mean, it's it's one thing to say, hey, I really want this notebook and, you know, shame on these people for fighting over a notebook. But it's another thing altogether to say, hey, two people are attacking my daughter. They're legitimately, you know, doing what I, you know, believe to be some, you know, serious damage. And so I'm going to draw my gun to defend my daughter. Or in the movie theater instance, it was, you know, this guy is threatening my son and we get into a, a, you know, a brawl. And so now the gun comes out. So I'm not condoning anyone's actions. I'm merely saying that the headline doesn't always paint the right picture of what happened. True. Well, you tell me, Jacob, do you think this mother was justified in, in drawing her gun in this situation? I don't, because what, what I understand from reading it is that she was defending her daughter, and, and by what was happening to the daughter was two other people were pulling on her daughter's hair. So, if, if that's the case, if the only thing that's happening is someone is pulling on my daughter's hair, at this point, am I preventing serious bodily injury or death? Do I, do I feel or perceive an imminent threat of death or serious bodily injury? I I don't think so. I mean, I, I, maybe I'm missing something, but as far as I know, pulling someone's hair does not generally lead to serious bodily injury or death. Um, so, you know, but that, that, that said, you know, there's that, this is complicated. It's hard to say, you know, what might've continued or what, how this might've proceeded. Um, maybe at some point it would have gotten violent enough that a gun would have been justified. But as I read the story, no, I, I, I don't call it justified, but I also think that the media has done an unfair justice of, of kind of suggesting per a headline that someone's drawing a gun in order to get the last notebook. Yeah. You know, I, I agree obviously with you. I think in this case, uh, this seems very much, um, you know, she was, she was very much early in her drawing of the gun. Uh, I, I know it's scary in a situation where, I mean, you've got your daughter or a child, and even if that child's a grown child, they're still your child. And, w- you know, she turned into Mama Bear. And Mama Bear said, whoa, hey, you know, you are, you're, you're beating up my daughter. Uh, I can't stand for that. It, here is one of my concerns with the situation. The concern is that she clearly does not well it, it, it really may be two things number number one she either clearly has no understanding of the law and that's concerning to me because if you're carrying a gun for self-protection and self-defense you you need to understand the law which of course is why our top you know uh, sponsor of today's episode is andrew branca and his law of self-defense program and you got to go check that out because uh, if if you don't feel like you 
really fully understand the law, uh, that's a great place to get started and to jump in and, and, and make sure that you're understanding the law. And I'll tell you what, I've learned things from Andrew and, and through studying his uh, Law of Self-Defense, the book, and, and some of his other materials that he has available online, I've learned things I didn't know. And that, you know, I've been doing this for years and years, teaching concealed carry, doing this podcast, talking about the laws week to week to week as we cover stories like this. And so that's my one, my first concern is that she did not understand the laws as to what she could do in what situations. Number two is that she clearly did not feel like she had another option, meaning she either you know, realize that she didn't have the skills necessary to jump in there and pull these these other ladies off her daughter. You know, to to use uh, you know non lethal defense, right? Physical force in defense of her daughter's you know life or health or or whatever, right? Uh, now, life I would say was not at jeopardy here, so. That's concerning too, because you know we talk about it, and we have done episodes too, where we talk about the importance of having other options besides the gun, the ability to defend yourself with physical force, reasonable levels of physical force. In this situation, she's more than welcome to jump in there and start pulling you know people off of her daughter, and if she, if to do that she has to you know push them around, you know put them in a arm bar, take them down to the ground, whatever it is, you know he within reasonable limits there's options there but she either didn't understand what those options might be doesn't have the skills the background or didn't feel comfortable doing that and that's concerning too because that's that's where in situations where you cannot use lethal force yet uh then you've you've got to have some other options available to you yeah i and ultimately, to me, the biggest lesson from these kinds of stories is that we need to find ways to de-escalate situations, not escalate them. And in this particular case, the gun owner herself, we don't know what her role was in the escalation of the situation. It might have purely been her daughter who really, really wanted that notebook, um, you know, and, and so maybe, you know, the, the daughter and the other two women are, are purely at fault for escalating and the gun owner was really trying their, you know, their best to get everyone to calm down. I, I don't know, but I, I think to me, that's always the biggest lesson is, you know, what starts out as something silly and dumb, you know, let's keep it silly and dumb. <laughs> let's, yeah. let's let go of the thing, you know, I mean, at the, at this point, if this mom is charged and, and goes to prison and who knows what else finds, um, while she certainly, you know, made her own choices, I, I would, I would be ticked at the daughter. I'd be like, you know, you couldn't have just let go of the notebook. You know, <laughs> you had to get into a brawl. Uh, you know, like we can buy notebooks elsewhere. Yeah. And you know what? That's the, probably the most important point is what you made right there, Jacob, is the importance of de-escalation. I mean, you know, it goes a long way to just be, dare I say, a, a good Christian. You know, and I mean that in, this, in the context of even if you're not a, a, a Christian believer, uh, do, do you know, the right thing and, and believe in the golden rule. And, uh, you know, in this situation, it's like, oh, you wanted that notebook? You know what? Go ahead. Have it. If that's all the daughter did, uh, then chances are this doesn't escalate to anything. It doesn't amount to anything. Although the way this is written makes it seem as though she reached for the notebook and the other person reached for the notebook. And because she's reaching it for it, it's like, bam, brawl ensues. I doubt it was that simple. But, you know, 
being respectful and kind uh, towards others and showing love. I mean, it really does go a long ways uh, to de-escalating situations. So thank you for your thoughts as well. Yeah, yeah, and and last thought here would be that it's it's entirely plausible that many of you might be listening to this and thinking, "Oh, I'm not a moron. I'm a very nice, good person, so I would never be in this situation." You know, but you could very easily just happen upon this. I mean, what what if we took this this news story and the gun owner was not related to any of the brawlers at all, but just happened to be another shopper, you know, and just happened to be in the aisle when this all went down? That could much more easily be any of us. Any of us could very quickly accept that, hey, we just might be in the wrong place at the wrong time. And and then, you know, the honest is on us to be able to identify at what point that gun becomes appropriate or, you know, what other you know, means we might have available to us that aren't lethal to be able to de-escalate those situations. So yeah. uh, all the things that you already said, you know, just to put that in context of how you might find yourselves in these situations. Right, right. To put something into specific context as far as like, Let's let's play out this whole story just a little bit, and when might the gun become a justifiable use? Well, if you couldn't stop these two women from beating up on your daughter, and they gained the upper hand on her, and they've got her on the ground, and they're stomping on her head, or they're slamming her head into the edge of the shelf, you know, of the shelving unit there in the store, you know, or or you know, something along those lines where she could sustain serious or great bodily injury or, you know, injuries that might result in death. Okay. That's a different story, but we're talking about some shoving and some hair pulling. And so, and by the way, did you notice the, one of the d- details in this story? It says uh, that she pulled the gun, uh, but did not have, the gun was loaded, but did not have a round in the chamber. And I'm thinking, why didn't you have a round in the chamber? <laughs> what would she have done? Had she af- actually had to use it? Right. I don't know yeah, if she was ready. Yes, yeah. And I think know, there's plenty of gun owners out there, by the way, that would relate to that. And maybe even some of our listeners who would say, hey, I'm just not comfortable yet. You're like, hey, I know I probably should, but I'm just not comfortable yet carrying around in the chamber. And to that we say, well, you know, work harder, get comfortable. Um, because you don't want to be in these situations where you draw that gun and, you know, you just, it doesn't cross your mind that, oh, crap, like if I actually have to fire this thing, it's not going to go bang. Yeah. Yeah. It, things can happen so quickly to think that you might have the time, the opportunity to rack that slide. Clearly she didn't do it as she drew it. And so, you know, these folks are close enough to her. They can get to her and take control of her hand and that gun potentially before she is able to rack that slide and put it into battery. And so, yeah, anyway, I just, that, that little detail stood out to me and another one of those kind of life lessons that we see so often on this podcast, it's like, yeah, you might want to rethink some of your tactics and strategies there. All right. So now let's get into uh, our first uh, kind of news, news story. I mean, that was, we, we like to, we were featuring stories like this last one uh, to kind of kick off the episode and sometimes talk about some of those things that you, you know, maybe we're not the greatest example to follow. Uh, but here's one. A story that's talking about YouTube. This was written on uh, thetruthaboutguns.com. And uh, they. this is a really interesting article to read and go through. It says that YouTube excludes gun control channels from censorship. Now, I think we've maybe touched on this reporting before. We've, we've talked about it. Or at least I, I know I've got you know memory of having discussed this in some context. Uh, but it's clear that things are really being taken to a whole new level. And so YouTube has instituted a new policy for firearms related content. It says all gun videos are 
automatically restricted and thus demonetized and delisted by their search engine until a YouTube censor, and I take by that they mean like someone that views the video and, you know, for censorship purposes and then determines what category that video fits in. So someone must view that and approve it, a process that can take up to seven days. That's that's troubling. I mean, there's a lot of helpful, educational, informative content on YouTube that's gun-related uh, that may very well even save lives. And now anything that's gun-related, it's saying, is automatically restricted until they approve it to be non-restricted. Now, yeah. Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say that this, this, there's a couple of things to consider here. One, the fact that they are removing it from search, what that really hurts a lot of gun owners who are gun owners, gun channels who are dependent on their YouTube channel for a living, for, for income, for revenue. And there's a couple of different ways that, you know, a YouTube channel or, you know, like a Hickok 45 or an Iraq veteran or any of those guys, they might, they might make money from YouTube. One would be that they just straight up have ad share, right? Someone goes to that YouTube video, it plays a little ad, you know, before the video starts and they get paid a portion of that ad revenue. And some of them, that's the only way they need that money as support in order to keep making videos, you know, in order to, to, to make it work. And, and so there's something to be said for, okay, if you delist, delist that from search, now those people uh, don't have the revenue that, that comes in and that therefore can't continue to create the content. So, you know, whether that's their intent or not, it's certainly a byproduct at very least of, of what they've done here. Um, it, it, it's a pretty, pretty frustrating thing. Uh, you know, I find it interesting too because um, there's a lot of other things on YouTube that I think require a censor, you know, that aren't being restricted. It, it's, it's so crazy that hey, you know, we got to worry about guns, but, you know, there's other things that to me are equally damaging or obviously, in my opinion, far more damaging that they don't seem to care about. Right. It, the article goes on to highlight how uh, videos from the Brady campaign to prevent gun violence, every time for gun safety, uh, moms demand action for gun sense in America. So these gun control focused groups that have YouTube channels, uh, their videos are do not appear to be uh, as affected uh, by this recent change in uh, YouTube's policy. Now, to be fair, n- neither is the NRA's videos, and it it seems that some of the, maybe some of the Excuse me. Uh, Maybe one of the reasons why this is, is because the NRA and these gun control, pro-gun control groups uh, tend to not do, they they don't, their videos are ad free. Uh, And so there definitely is a tie somewhere here with regards to if you want to derive ad money from your videos and you are doing gun-related videos, uh, essentially YouTube does not want to be paying gun-related channels uh, ad money. Uh, to, yeah, there's you know, there's also an inference here, and again, the, no data behind this, purely you know inferring this by the author of this article, that it could also have, an, you know, this could be in part related to the fact that the NRA and these other organizations spend a lot of money on advertising on YouTube, right? They're giving YouTube money every day to run advertising. Yeah. And so, you know, perhaps, hey, you know, YouTube doesn't want to piss off these organizations because they, they're receiving so much ad revenue. Yeah. Yep. Now, you, you do have the option in YouTube when viewing YouTube videos, you can turn on what's called restricted mode. And that's going to, you know, 
restrict from anything that comes up in the search results and and whatnot. It, videos that are identified uh, or bookmarked as being restricted videos, um, and that could be potentially you know, kind of free speech limiting uh, because. Channels like, to use as an example, the Truth About Guns, their, their YouTube channel, and they talk about it here, and they have a little screenshot showing. If you turn on restricted search on YouTube, none of their videos appear on their channel. All of them, gone. And so even if you aren't trying to drive ad money from YouTube videos to support your YouTube channel, and there are a lot of them out there that do that, uh, which, I mean... Yeah, I mean, I guess in an ideal world, we wouldn't have to have ads to put out these awesome, you know, YouTube videos. But the fact is, some of these people are able to provide very helpful educational, informational content to the masses because it's in part supported by advertising. But even if it's not supported by advertising, even if you turn that 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 off, uh, you might still struggle getting your content in front of the audience. Uh, because of it still being tagged as being restricted in some sense uh, from search. And so, obviously, this is concerning. Now, obviously, Google, and that owns YouTube, uh, it's, it's their entity. And they, I guess they are free to restrict that. Um, but it's not cool when it is a channel, when it is a, a uh, media source that is so universally used and recognized that that I my 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 opinion would be Jacob and I think you agree is that something like that that is so universal should take an approach that equally values all content as long as it's not like breaking the law or something yeah um I hate it I disagree with the decision but I am I am somewhat sympathetic to the idea that a, a given organization um, should be able to take a stand and say, we feel a certain way about a certain thing. And so, you know, within our business practice, we're going to take action to support our own values. And unfortunately, Google's values are very much so, you know, as we've always known, related to, you know, restricting gun um, stuff. <laughs> you know, that's true on YouTube. That's true on their search platform. And they're, they're, they've, they, I think they've done a pretty good job of walking the line relatively uh, up till now. Uh, but this, this, this seems to me like they've gone a little too far. Absolutely. So my th- I suspect would say, well, let's start our own YouTube channel or the equivalent of it. But you know what? As much as that, yeah. I mean, like, that's a long-term play. And uh, you're just never going to get the kind of exposure that you would like to, or, you know, or that you think that you would uh, by going along with the masses, you know, where everybody, this is where people's eyes are, is on YouTube. Uh, and most of the world uses Google as their search engine, and YouTube is, like, I think Google's the number one search engine, right, Jacob? And YouTube is, like, number two or number three. It's something ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah, so. Google, Facebook, and YouTube are the three biggest search engines. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Anyway, uh, disappointing to hear. All right, let's get now to the next story. Uh, this is from, uh, well, from conservativefiringline.com, a site I've never frequented, or uh, but this story came up, and I find it interesting, and it says here, American Bar Association urges all 50 states to adopt gun, gun confiscation laws. Wow. Well, yeah, let's be clear on what kind of laws we're talking about. 
And then we'll talk about why it's stupid. But they're specifically referring to the kind of extreme risk protection orders that we've reported on recently. And we're going to report on more today, in fact. Uh, but, you know, we and, and the, you know, long-time listeners have heard us talk about these. So these are laws that are becoming popular uh, that exist already in a few states that allow a court, uh, judge, et cetera, to essentially issue a, an extreme risk protection order that includes the confiscation of uh, a party's firearms um, without any due process hearing or you know allowance that that person could defend themselves. Uh, and so the, these these kind of extreme protection risk protection orders are, as far as I'm concerned, very much so against you know any essence of the Constitution and due process. And uh, yeah, the American Bar Association says, "Hey, all 50 states should have laws like this. This is a great idea." Yeah. So you 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 are right. We are going to talk uh, a little bit here about. Uh, these extreme risk protection orders, which we've covered quite extensively in past podcast episodes. So we won't go too much into the details as to what those are and what they mean, because, I mean, we've we've covered it before. Not going to beat a dead horse. Uh, but I find this talk, you know, this uh, suggestion from the American Bar Association very hypocritical. Uh, and, and this article makes a great point in that same regard, suggesting that, the ABA, the American Bar Association, has defended due process rights. And by the way, this is a statement from the NRA ILA. So I'm quoting from this statement. The American Bar Association has defended the due process rights of some very unpopular groups, including enemy combatants, terror suspects, and convicts on death row. The organization also advocates that stringent due process standards be applied to the disposition of positive rights, such as universal access to health care and welfare benefits. Such advocacy might give some the false impression that the ABA holds a principled position on due process rights in general. When it comes to the due process rights of gun owners, however, the ABA has abandoned any pretense of principle and adopted the prevailing left-wing orthodoxy. Whew. Uh, I, I can't sum it up any better than that because what, what they're saying here is that the what what the NRA ILA is saying here is that the ABA, the American Bar Association, values the due process rights of criminals and known terrorists greater than law-abiding, constitutionally, you know, right-believing, in other words, gun-toting Americans. Yeah, I get frustrated anytime someone attempts to use either their their influence or credibility in some unrelated topic to propose that they should know something about gun control. You know, we see this with celebrities all the time, right? During election seasons and things where, hey, because I'm famous or rich, I my opinion should count, you know, bigger and more importantly than everyone else's about this political topic. And this, to me, feels the same way, like, Okay, so because you are an association for people who have passed a bar exam, therefore you know more about gun control and what's right for our country than anybody else. Like this is this is not your place. Like, yeah, I, I'm I'm confused. Yeah, well, it's, and it's, it's unfortunate too because attorneys can't afford to not be a member of this American Bar Association. It's not like all you know attorneys can just be like you know screw you. We're not going to give you money anymore because like unfortunately that's an industry where you've got to be a member of that association just for all sake of credibility. To not be a member of that association suggests a lack of credibility in in that field. Yep. Yep. Very uh, astutely observed, Jacob. 
Let's get now to our next story, and this is in Indiana, where Indiana lawmakers are considering allowing guns without a license is the title, and as, of course, I mean, what they're implying, not, not, not that uh, guns are licensed in Indiana, but they're talking about allowing concealed carry without uh, uh, permits. And so, in other words, constitutional carry. This is, uh, I, I mean pretty cool stuff. I mean, we're always happy to see more states join the concealed, or not the concealed, (laughs) the constitutional carry bandwagon. So, uh, but, you know, like I said, Jacob, it's it's so fascinating to me how the media, uh, they don't quite grasp, you know, the terminology of, you know, what the difference is between gun licensing or registration and concealed carry licensing. Because right here in the very first sentence says, a new proposal could allow people to carry loaded guns in public without a license in Indiana. So, but the yeah, title. they're not geniuses. Know, what's that? They're not geniuses. No, they, they are not. But this is still early. Uh, they are uh, a committee of Indiana legislators that says met Tuesday during a public meeting to decide if they, if they should get rid of the law that requires a license. See, <laughs> so once again, a license for gun owners? No, a license for <laughs> concealed carry. And so it's early on. We have no idea where this will go, but Indiana legislature is looking at it. And that would just mean that list is getting even longer with constitutional carry states, which I, I think is cool. I mean, obviously, folks, longtime listeners of the podcast know that we are big proponents of getting trained. And training is critical for concealed carry, in my opinion, in particular. But the rights of a person to carry concealed, I don't think should necessarily hinge on whether some state creates an arbitrary measure of, you know, whether someone is worthy of carrying or not. Agreed. It's ridiculous. It's crazy. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll keep an eye on uh, things going on in Indiana there and report back as we find out more. And so now we get to this uh, story, which we've already kind of covered. Uh, this is really an update of sorts out of Oregon, where Oregon Governor Kate Brown signed into law the bill that establishes circumstances. And this is quoting from the newamerican.com. Uh, the, uh, it establishes circumstances under which citizens of that state could be forced to surrender their firearms to government agents, specifically referring to extreme risk protection orders, where... A person or a law enforcement officer can file paperwork with the courts saying that, you know, basically claiming, claiming for whatever reason uh, with very little evidence necessarily of that reasoning to the courts that that an ex-spouse, partner, boyfriend, girlfriend, uh, or just maybe even a random person. Uh, that you happen to have association with, you file a protection order against them, and only that you file an extreme risk protection order suggesting that they are dangerous to you. Now, there's going to be situations where this is completely legitimate, and I get that. But there's going to be many situations where I think this could be taken advantage of, uh, advantage of, or taken too far, and the result is gun confiscation is taking place without due process. Yeah, this is uh, this is one of those things that I would call low hanging fruit for the gun gun grabbers. You know, they they failed on many other fronts, but this one they seem to be getting some traction with several states. So we gotta we gotta push. We gotta push back. And the problem is, Jacob, too, with with legislation like this, it's very easy to argue 
on behalf of this type of legislation and make it sound completely reasonable and even necessary. And even when in, in many, in some cases, uh, legislators that normally are maybe pro gun or pro second amendment over to this side and support this type of legislation. Mm-hmm. So it's one of those things, it's, you know, it all comes down to constitution due process, you know, we got to yeah. remember that. So the last time we reported on this, we were saying how the governor was likely, you know, she had already indicated that she was going to sign this legislation. Well, now we're reporting that it has in fact been signed and this law goes into effect starting January 1st, 2018. So if you're in Oregon, uh, particularly if you, you might find yourself in a situation right now where you're a gun owner and you're having a difficult time in a relationship with a uh, significant other. And I would be cautious about any, anything that you say towards them, uh, anything that you do that might lead them to think uh, that you pose a threat to them and thus file one of these ERPOs, ERPOs, uh, Extreme Risk Protection Orders against them. And I would also say, if you are in those difficult situations, as they do happen, that you, you should, you know, don't do anything stupid, I think is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Yep. All right. So now we get to Sacramento, California. And Jacob, did you read this story? Because this one is like, it's kind of those things you read and it, your, your, your head wants to explode a little bit. Yeah, like, I have to huh, read what? it a couple of times to too. Couple, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, I'm still not entirely sure I understand what's going on. The, the, essentially, here's the deal. This, what's clear is that the city council has passed uh, a, a law, a program to allocate $1.5 million to combat gun violence. Now you might be saying, well, what does that mean? Well, if... I got it right. (laughs) What it means is that we are going to pay criminals for not committing crimes. (laughs) And and apparently, am I laughing? (laughs) Yeah, apparently this has worked in other cities. You know, it says that in Richmond they saw a fifty percent reduction in firearm assaults and fifty-four percent reduction in related homicides. because yeah, now, now let me clarify. We're not just paying you know criminals, but essentially the idea is to provide you know participants of the program with high level mentorship, daily check ins, case management, and life goal plans. You know, so it's something to the effect of hey, we're going to take you know young men who we think are responsible for most of the gun violence in the city, and we are going to you know coach them, mentor them, and help them you know forge a better life. And all this you know with the intent of reducing firearm related violence. And we're going to take tax dollars to do that. And, and you you know, I'm inclined to say, hey, if, if the people of Sacramento want their tax dollars used that way, like, that's full cool with me. I, I got no problem with that. Um, but, you know, <laughs> did we ask? And I guess we'll find out if these city council members stick around or not, because $1.5 million is a good chunk of tax taxpayer dollars. And it, it is frustrating for me. Like, if, if I lived in Sacramento right now, I'd be like, hey... I got a problem with you taking our tax dollars and using it to essentially pay people to just not commit crimes or shoot people. Like it doesn't engage law enforcement. Uh, it's 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 pretty lacking in some regards. Now, and this this may get me some hate mail, but I will say this: I think it's far better than some other things I've seen. And what I mean by that is, it at least is trying to uh perhaps uh you know fight the problem where it actually exists and by that i mean you know the problem is not the gun the problem is the the shooter 
you know, the, the criminal. And so if we're trying to change that person's heart and life and make them, you know, want to be a better person and have better life aspirations to that, and I say, well, that's, that's preferable than taking my tax dollars and using them to buy back your guns or, you know, have lower magazine capacity or some other bull crap that has nothing to do with the humans that are committing the violent crime. So, so I would put this under the category of yeah, better than a lot of things I've seen, but still, you know, not ideal and, and not okay. All right. So <clears throat> I have to apologize for laughing while you were going through this, but the idea seems kind of crazy. It's like, we're going to pay criminals or those that we think might be criminals. We're going to pay them to not commit crime. I, I, you know, my mind just starts going crazy with all these, these tangents, Jacob, of a future world where there's almost like a business, you know, <laughs> like this gray or black market business of sorts almost of uh, of gangs and organizations uh that almost try to earn like a government contract <laughs> to not commit crime and like okay on the surface it seems like oh maybe that's not a bad idea but i can just see this really being taken to some extremes and and abused potentially this is interesting because like you said, this was done in Richmond. Uh, I think they referred to Richmond several times, and I, I think that was referring to Richmond, Virginia. Oh, good guess. I not, I, I um, couldn't say. Yeah, there there was nothing that actually said it, I, and I had this. That's the first I've ever heard of it. So I, you know, if something's been going on in Richmond, and it talks about it. These studies they they did in Richmond uh, from 2010 to 2016, and maybe there's a Richmond, California. I don't know. Uh, it's it's those studies for over six years in Richmond that saw a 50% reduction in firearm assaults and 54% reduction in related homicides. Okay, if that's true, and if the cause and effect is accurately being measured here, then that's actually pretty interesting and promising, provided there's some safeguards in place that keep things like this from being abused on, on either side, on either the government side and on the recipient side. Uh, because, for instance, the sheriff has criticized this program, saying that they there's no plans that they will engage law enforcement in this program, and I, I do think that's a mistake. I think when anytime we try to take tackle on community based crime, of course, all, all crime is is based in communities somewhere, but anytime we try to tackle a pro, a problem that is extremely challenging and diverse. Uh, and complex, I think we need a multifaceted, multi-tiered, you know, sort of solution. And that doesn't mean we exclude exclude law enforcement from it uh, when it's a crime-related initiative. Uh, it's it's been suggested that if the program becomes aware of one of the participants committing crime, they will not notify law enforcement. And I have a problem with that if that's true, because I feel like anybody. I, I think it should be true of a of of a uh, a pastor, uh, a church leader, a reverend, you know, anything like that. That if if it becomes known to them, even in a private, uh, you know, what's the word, Con- confession to a church leader that hey, I just killed a man. I think they should probably tell somebody. You know what I mean. And so, uh, we're talking about a government program where where they're suggesting that would be the case, uh, I guess. So, I don't know. I think this is one of the things where I'm going to stand back, Jacob, and watch and see what happens. What do you yeah, think? Yeah, 
Yeah, I mean, it could just be one of the, like, the devil's in the detail kind of things. Like, is the entire idea bad? Yeah, maybe not, but the devil's in the details. Yeah. Let's get to our first justified story, and this one is, uh, this is pretty remarkable. So, recently, we had Hurricane Harvey that hit Houston, and our hearts, our thoughts, our prayers go to the people there. I know that there's still a massive recovery effort underway. Uh, I've been praying for the folks of Texas, and as we, you know, no, some well, I assume people know, maybe you don't know, but there's another big hurricane coming this direction, meaning towards the U.S., uh, that right now is bearing down on, on a lot of the Caribbean islands. Uh, it might strike Florida, and if you're there, our hearts, our prayers, our thoughts go out to you as well in your preparation for that uh, to potentially come. But here in, in uh, the Corpus Christi area of Texas, as Hurricane Harvey was making landfall late Friday night, this was, this was actually be two Fridays ago now, uh, a homeowner shot an alleged intruder. And this man came into the home, uh, attempted to, I guess, rob him or whatever. And I don't know if this is related to looting that sometimes takes place when we have major uh, disasters that take place. I mean, we've seen this happen in various places across the country. Um, so, really don't know the full motive behind this, but still it's pretty sad to see that people will still commit crimes and still try to take advantage of others, even when people are already in, you know, they're experiencing hard times because of major disaster events. Anyway, this, this intruder came into the home. The homeowner would have nothing to do with that and shot the intruder in the head. Yeah. Uh, and it said that, <laughs> I mean, pretty extreme. Not a lot of detail about, you know, exactly what happened other than, you know, the residents, uh, you know, fired and and shot them in the head. Beyond that, we really don't know. And it's it's one of those things where it's it's very unfortunate, but would this have happened with or without the hurricane? That's another thing that I keep thinking about is, you know, we're kind of making a big deal out of the fact that the hurricane was making landfall and saying this is happening. You know, sometimes criminals are just out there doing their thing. Perhaps it was more of a targeted thing. Hey, you know, everyone's distracted. Maybe a lot of these homes are abandoned, uh, evacuated. Maybe I'm going to go, you know, loot and do my thing. I don't know. Uh, either way, what's clear is this homeowner was not was not taking it. Yeah. And, and good for them for being ready and prepared, potentially. Yeah. yeah. And I'll, I'll add that in these, some, some of these circumstances, like, I'm going to sound like a complete loser right now, but it's okay to sometimes go to like DEFCON 3 in your house. You know, it's like, hey... You know, something serious going on. You know, maybe, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a day when a lot of crim, criminal activity happens. Halloween, New Year's Eve, a lot more people consuming alcohol, a lot more criminal activity on those two days. Uh, maybe it's a severe weather issue like a hurricane. There's a lot of things that might be happening that you might say, you know what, risk is greater right now, so I need to be even more prepared. Maybe I'm going to have my rifle you know, ready, or maybe I'm going to make sure I got a spare mag, or I'm going to go triple check all the doors and windows right now, or whatever it might be, you know, but we should always be ready. You know, we should always be prepared. But there are some times when clearly the environment increases the level of risk, and so we should be even more on our guard. Yep. Another story from Texas, Kaufman County, uh, Rowlett, Texas. And uh, this was uh, on, around the same time. So uh, Friday of, uh, you know, when Hurricane Harvey was making landfall. Uh, this has no mention of the uh, hurricane in the story. Don't know that it was that it really mattered, but we had a home or a home intruder uh, also shot uh, in this situation uh, by a homeowner, 
And the uh, intruder was found at a gas station a little bit later, transported to an area hospital with a gunshot wound. And the interesting thing about this story is this guy tried to, uh, he actually called for assistance and he reported, falsely reported, I might add, that he was carjacked so he could explain his gunshot wound. And then, of course, you know, they, they I'm, criminals, they're not that smart. <laughs> a lot of times, uh, it doesn't take a lot of uh, sleuthing to probably figure out the, the real truth and uh, why, why uh, or how things happened. So a second intruder was also found at a local hospital after seeking medical attention for a gunshot wound to the torso. Uh, both these individuals forcibly entered a home began shooting. So this one got violent very quickly and seems to have been uh, initiated by the intruders themselves. The male homeowner returned gunfire with a handgun. Uh, There was a female resident in that home who sustained non-life-threatening injuries when she fled the house in the the shooting. Uh, I don't know whether that was was a result of the gunshots. It could have been her jumping out of a window. Who knows what? Uh, But obviously a scary situation for those involved, and we're glad they made out of it alive. Yeah, this this is one of those where uh, I think it's different than most home invasions we see. Most home invasions we see, where, you know, that we report on as far as justified stories, it's often the homeowner who, you know, fires the first shot, they're prepared, they see that there's someone there, they risk, you know, they fear for their life, for their safety, for their loved ones, and so they fire. In this case, you got, you know, you got criminals who are forcibly entering the home and they begin shooting. You know, how, how scary would that be, right? That these are not people who were hoping no one was home so they could get in and steal a TV. No, they, they forced their way in. And started firing shots. Uh, so thank goodness the, the homeowner was ready to go and return fire. Yep. Indeed. Now our last justified story, and this one is out of Southwest Virginia, where a woman was shot after allegedly attempting to attack neighbors with machetes. Whoa. That's discouraged. You know, main lesson for me: never try and attack my neighbors with a machete. <laughs> machete trumped by gun almost every time. Uh, so yeah, this one's pretty bizarre because basically you had a couple of homeowners. It sounds like it was two homeowners. So two separate households and they were, I guess, already outside of the home. They saw, uh, Heinz, her last name is Heinz, Kathy Heinz. Uh, she was, she had a couple of machetes in her hands and she was swinging them at their mailboxes and a sign at the end of their driveway, uh, trying to damage them. And when they saw this, she then approached them the two neighbor or two homeowners and started swinging the machetes at them. Uh, she then also proceeded to their home where she approached the second homeowner with machetes. That homeowner was armed with a handgun, gave commands for her to stop. She did not stop. Uh, this homeowner fired a shot and shot her in the shoulder. Uh, police responded and, and emergency personnel and she's transported to the hospital with a non life threatening injury to her shoulder. Pretty interesting and bizarre. I mean, definitely some sounds like a mental instability of some sort. Uh, yeah, but, yeah. I mean, who knows if she was off her meds or on some drugs or whatever it might have been. But uh, I, I am grateful to see that, you know, in this case, a shot had to get fired to stop stop the threat. But she was shot in the shoulder and she will survive. And, you know, everybody will be able to sleep at night, not have nightmares about having killed some crazy woman. Right. Yeah. Glad that one was resolved. Uh, you know. 
I, I, I take no joy in people being killed, even when they probably deserve it sometimes. Uh, but, uh, you know, this one was resolved uh, with an injury, but but no more than that. And could have been far worse. I mean, imagine if one of these homeowners uh, couldn't retreat and get to a place of safety uh, when they, you know, and, and were not armed and didn't have, uh, you know, because if, if you're going up against machetes and you don't have, all you have is your hands. That is a scary situation. Uh, the best thing to do is is probably to run, obviously. But uh, anyway, uh, interesting stories today. Uh, yeah, that's kind of the the norm for <laughs> the Concealed Carry podcast as we search for and scrounge up all these stories from across the nation. There's always some interesting ones out there and lots of lessons learned. And uh, we know that based on some of our recent podcast fans we've run into, uh, like at the Expo, Jacob, that they enjoy a lot of these things we talk about. Today's episode is made possible and brought to you by Sports Afield. Now, you've probably heard it from us before, but once every 30 seconds in this country, a home invasion occurs. That's a scary statistic, and it's a real one. If you are not ready within your own home, you you should be, and you should be considering that now. I would encourage you to check out Sports Afield's full line of quick access handgun safes, as well as their larger rifle safes, too, that we have available on our website. These are great quality products for very reasonable and affordable prices. Check them out now. For quick access to your handgun, the little quick access handgun safes are they're perfect for the task. Believe me. Check it out at concealedcarry.com forward slash sports afield. And today's episode is also brought to you by Viking Tactics or VTAC, which is a leader in quality fighting gear that really works. Uh, all these products have been designed and had design input from retired uh, Sergeant Major Kyle Lamb, uh, a real you know wartime hero, and we just really love VTAC products. Uh, you've got one of their slings, Jacob. It's one of the finest uh, made slings uh, on the market today. Those are available. Also, weapon light, weapon light mounts, belts, training DVDs, all sorts of great gear available on our website. Go check out the Viking Tactics brand uh, on concealedcarry.com. Hope to see you there and hope to see you enjoying their, their gear as well, just like we do. And so it's come to that time where it's time for us to sign off. Uh, Riley and Jacob here at the Concealed Carry Podcast. Appreciate all that you do in making it possible for us to, uh, you know, meaning that everyone that supports us in this podcast, we really, truly do appreciate it. Jacob, any last words? You know, my, my thought would be that it's back to school time. And so, you know, your lifestyle is changing. You know, maybe you have to get up at a different time of the day or your evenings are different or afternoons are different. Make sure that you're making the, the proper adjustments adjustments to your EDC, to your, you know, to the way you carry your gun, whatever, whatever it might be, you know, the things you wear, I, I don't know. But as you know, in the fall, when kids start going back to school, often that means a lifestyle change. So we need to make uh, adjustments to make sure we're still on our game. Yep. Indeed. Good advice. And so with that, we'll bid you farewell till next time. My next episode uh, or our next episode is going to be together with Andy Brown, author of the book, Warnings Unheeded. It's going to be a fascinating interview. I promise you that. Stay tuned. Uh, That one should come out tomorrow, Wednesday, September 6th. Uh, So we look forward to it. A reminder to train right, train often, and train safe so that you can fight hard, fight fast, and fight true. Take care, everybody.
A reminder that laws vary from place to place, and we encourage listeners to seek local legal advice to understand applicable laws. The Concealed Carry Podcast, Concealed Carry Inc., ConcealedCarry.com, and their affiliates strive to share insights and stories about firearm-related incidents and laws, but things could be different where you live, or laws may have changed by the time you listen to this. We cannot be held liable for your actions based on the information shared in this podcast.